Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, coming to you from my Clover Blue office with a hot cup of coffee in the Word of God. Today's going to be a good day. If you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4, we're continuing in our study or walk through Matthew And we're going to look at disciples being called to follow Christ. Now, before we look at today's passage, I want to talk to you about a term that will will shape our view of this passage. There's a term in theological circles called the synoptic gospels, synoptic gospels. That word synoptic comes from two words, sin, which means together, and optic, which means sight. So literally, the word means to see things in unity. Now the Gospels are the four books, the four first books of the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they chronicle the the good news of Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection. That, of course, is the the basis of our salvation. The Synoptic Gospels include the first three of the four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They together give us a picture of Christ that's more comprehensive. I challenge you to find a good chronological Bible and read through the life of Christ in order in order to see the full picture of of how Christ lived. Now I read an article that said that 90% of what Mark wrote is found in Matthew and about 50% is found in Luke. Now this causes this causes a problem for some people. There's a second term associated with the synoptic gospels. It's called the synoptic problem. Some people contend that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are too similar to have so many um, consistent things. And when they are seemingly different, that causes a problem too. They say that Mark... Uh, must have, or all three of them must have had some kind of source to which they wrote from. And they call this the, the Q source. Q comes from a, a Christian word, quail, and that, that means source. And, and so I, I looked for this source. I couldn't find it. There's no evidence of the Q source anywhere. There, there's nothing mentioned in, in the early church, in the early church writings about this source. Uh, it, it just, does not happen. So these more liberal scholars who like to deny that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit will hold on to this idea of a of a Q source. And they say that you must treat the Bible then like any other religious literature, add the same criticism to the Bible. But the problem is 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 there's no other form of literature that has done what the Bible has done, changed so many lives. I mean, green eggs and ham hasn't altered the course of human history like the Gospels have. Again, there's just no evidence whatsoever that there is a Q document, not biblically, not historically. There's just no evidence. So what makes Matthew, Mark, and Luke so similar? Well, I, I've read a few explanations. The best is that 
you know, Mark had written the first and maybe the other writers had access to it, but that's not a problem. I mean, we value accurate and truthful research, right? It's always an, it's a benefit to us by, by dating the letters. Maybe, maybe Luke had access to, to uh, Mark and Matthew and, and use texts from both of them for his own gospel. Because even Luke writes in Luke chapter one, verses one through four, inasmuch as been uh, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some past, some time past, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Now, as as far as as the differences are concerned, the the realization of of that there are different people telling the same story through their own writing style, that, that accounts for those differences. A, a proper alignment of the chronological order will cover the rest. So the synoptic problem is really not a problem at all. This is what the website um, gotquestions.org says about it. The explanation as to why the synoptic gospels are so similar is that they are all inspired by the Holy Spirit and are all written by people who witnessed and who were told about the same events. The Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew the Apostle, one of the twelve who followed Jesus and were commissioned by him. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who was a close associate of the Apostle Peter, another one of the twelve. The Gospel of Luke which of course was written by Luke, a close associate of the Apostle Paul. Why would we not expect their accounts to be very similar to one another? Each of the Gospels is ultimately inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should expect coherence and unity. So that's the synoptic Gospels and the synoptic problem in a nutshell. The synoptic gospels, again, are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there's no problem with them being so similar or having minor differences. And you might be tempted to ask, well, why are we given four in the first place? Why have four gospels? Why not just give us one complete gospel with everything in it? Well, I, I think there's there's a couple of reasons for this. The first is that we get a, a more full understanding of the life and teachings of Christ through different uh, through different writing styles and different opinions, the the original letter um, that that would have included everything would would just be long. It would only come through one lens, one understanding. It would cover all the ministry of Christ, but it'd be so long that no one would probably uh, have stood up and read all of it. So some things were left out of the original letters because they couldn't include every single minute of his life. I mean, each writer gave meaningful moments as the Holy Spirit would remind him of those events. The second benefit of having four Gospels is that they give credibility to one another. The, the letters were written separately and included some of what I call in this letter only commentary. But many stories were repeated, and, and that gives assurance to the reader that a particular event really happened, such is the case for this event recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Now, 
Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1 are, are similar records of this event. Luke records a similar event that many think are the same story, but there's some major differences in that. And so we don't think those are the, the same the same event. Now, John 1 is a is a record of the earlier account that Jesus had with these same men. I read a, a timeline to get these things in order. I needed to get these things in order in my head so that I could explain them correctly. And I, I just did a simple Google search and I, I ran across totallyhistory.com. And they gave a biblical timeline of just the calling of Peter. And, and this is going to have some bearing on where we're going to land today. So they say that Simon met Jesus through the help of Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist. And that is indeed recorded in John chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. But then if you look in Matthew and Mark, in Matthew 4 and Mark 1, while Peter and Andrew were fishing at the Sea of Galilee, see, um, Jesus sees them and asks them to follow him. That's two separate events. Then in Matthew 8, in Mark 1, Jesus visits Peter's house and cures Peter's sick mother-in-law. And then in another event, Peter casts his net into the ocean after being told by Jesus to do, to do just that. And, and he, he tells Jesus, what is he, I mean, what does he tell him? He tells him, we've already fished all night. It, why should we do this again? But because you're, you're a rabbi, we'll, we'll do this. And, and he did what he was told and he caught a great number of fish. That's a separate event. And finally, Jesus adds to the name Simon Peter. That, that's recorded in Mark 3, Luke 6, John 1. All of those things are in order. So let's keep in mind this progression when we're reading the story. We we also have to keep in mind uh, what Jesus called the disciples to do. Now, John MacArthur teaches that there were five callings on the disciples. The first was phase one, a call to salvation. That's what's in John 1. And then phase two was a call to follow him. That's in Matthew 4. And then phase three was a call to only be fishers of men. That's found in Luke chapter 5. And then there was a separating of the 12 from the rest of the disciples in Mark chapter 3 when they were called to be apostles. And finally, in phase 5 in Matthew chapter 10, they are called to go preach and perform miracles. So let's keep in mind these callings that were issued to the first first disciples. There Now, don't think that these automatically translate over into our lives, uh, they, these were the callings of the disciples. Now, some of them might be our calling, but most of them are probably not. We are definitely called to salvation and discipleship, but not everyone's called into full-time ministry in, in a church or on a mission field. But we are all carried, uh, called to carry out the work of the Great Commission, right? So according to a writer named John Schnodheit, I'm not sure exactly how to uh, pronounce that, he, he, he wrote an article in Sower Magazine entitled The Calling of the Disciples. And he said we should think of, of the calling of the disciples as a process. Some of them became followers of Jesus before Jesus ministered in Galilee. When John the Baptist was still in ministry, some believed in him and followed him there. Later, Jesus told, much later, Jesus told them that he would make them fishers of men and their discipleship went to the next level. Later, in Luke 5, Jesus said, from now on, you'll only be catching people. So that was a call into full-time ministry. And so when we study the full chronology, uh, chrono chronology 
of the calling of the fishermen to become apostles, Jesus did not simply tell people who just barely knew him to give up their jobs and follow him. Okay, he didn't do that. Now, that's my introduction. Now let's get to the scriptures. So when we get to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, understand this is the second phase of their calling. This is a call to discipleship. Read, read it along with me as I read it aloud, or just listen if you're driving. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, their father and followed him. So let's put this into the context of the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John, and you'll find that Jesus is calling his disciples to himself at different times in their walk with him. Now, listen, some some were believers and, and some would become believers very soon. Some of these fishermen had already met Jesus though. So in John chapter one, verses 35 through 51, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, they had met him in the wilderness when John the Baptist was baptizing. And from that writing, it's clear that at least some of them became believers in Jesus in that initial meeting. Then this event in Matthew chapter 4 was the first time Jesus asked the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, to follow him for discipleship. Now, we're not sure when Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, became believers. They may have already been believers or became believers at the next meeting recorded in Luke chapter 5, but Andrew and Nathaniel were definitely believing men. So the next time they encountered Jesus was while they were fishing. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus uh, was calling them into full-time ministry. They were called to be only fishers of men. So this passage involves Jesus calling believers at the basic level of belief to follow him. So here's a couple of points from this passage that I need to mention. The first is that Jesus wanted believers to follow him. Followed in verse 20 in the original language is akal otheo, which means to accompany someone as their disciple. They would, they would join uh, or literally walk with Jesus as he taught them. This is what the Old Testament says in, in Deuteronomy 6.6. 6, listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in their house and when you walk by the way and when you, when you lie down and when you rise. From that verse, we gather that parents are the primary disciples of their children, Okay, because they lived with their children. When Jesus invited these men to follow him and to only be fishers of men, he was saying, you're going to live life with me, with me. I like what one blogger, how, how one blogger describes this action. To truly follow Christ means he has to become everything to us. Everyone follows something, friends, popular culture, family, desires, God, everyone follows something. We can only follow one thing at a time. God states we are, 
We are to have no other gods before him. To truly follow Christ means we do not follow anything else. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. There's no such thing as a halfway disciple. I think that was a, a well-written blog post there. Listen, it's, it's the desire of Christ for us to walk with him through this life by, by reading his word, by obeying when the spirit tells us to do something, by allowing his teaching to reflect off of our actions and our, and our words. Jesus wants us to follow him. Now, it's also clear in this passage that Jesus wanted followers to help him in his mission. Well, what was the mission of Christ? Well, think, I mean, Luke 19.10 tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why he came. That was his purpose. Jesus only performed miracles. He only did some of the other things that he did to prove that he was the Son of God. And he, he, if he claims that God sent him and there's proof by these miracles, then he become more effective in redeeming people to the kingdom. And he was very effective. Now, listen, if you're a Christian, you're, if you're a Christian, it's because you receive the gift of salvation from a man by God to offer you salvation from Christ himself. And if you're not a Christian, hear me now. Jesus came to seek and to save you. Jesus came in to die on the cross for you. No, not not because you were going to die on the cross, but because you were going to be die because you were going to die and be separated from God forever because of your sin. And since Jesus never sinned, he didn't need to die. So God counted his death good enough to pay for your sin. Jesus came to do this for you. You you should accept the gift of salvation today. Listen, Jesus knew his time on earth would come to an end. He knew this. He knew that he would die. He knew he was going to be buried, but he was going to come back to life and return to heaven. He knew all of these things. And he told the good news of salvation to the Jews who were alive at that time. But it needed to be told to the Gentiles who were also alive at that time and to everyone who would be born after that time. So what was the plan for this ministry to continue? The plan was for his disciples to make more disciples who would make more disciples. The plan was for his disciples to do their part in that multiplication until he returns. Understand, the church of Jesus Christ is the plan. He called disciples initially and calls us today to that same discipleship, to follow him, to show us how to live out our godly lives and to win people for Christ. And then on top of that, he sent his spirit to help us in that endeavor. Jesus wants his followers to help him in his mission. Now, for the application of this truth to our lives, it's just very simple. The first application is that believers in Jesus are to become disciples of Jesus. That's what he wanted. That's what he modeled for us. You are to follow Christ for discipleship. And you can start that now. Just like the original disciples, wherever you are in your belief, whatever level of belief you have, you can start to follow him now by following his teachings. How, how do you personally do this? Well, just like I said earlier, it you know, it's the desire of Christ for us to walk with him through life by reading his word, 
Obeying when the Spirit tells you to do something and allowing His teaching to reflect off of your actions and your words. This this is so simple. We just accept this as our greatest task. That's the hard part. Your, your Your number one assignment should be this work. I mean, this is the the purpose we've been given. It's the reason we were created. This is why the church is in existence, because a more mature follower of Christ will lead others to be more mature followers of Christ. The second application is just that. Disciples of Jesus are to multiply believers in Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are to multiply believers in Jesus. There There is no greater joy... There's no greater satisfaction than to lead someone to Christ. And, and you would say, I, I can't do that. I don't, have, I don't know enough. I'm too scared. And, and I want to tell you, it, it, I know it's scary to do that. I mean, because you run the risk of being rejected or laughed at or ostracized. Yeah, I mean, Jesus was. It, it will probably happen to you if you do it enough times. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There is a belief line drawn in the sand that people will not get past or invite you to cross. We must accept that. But to share the gospel with someone, the good news of what Christ did to offer them salvation, it's going to bring you a lot of joy, especially if they receive that good news of salvation. You will be blessed by sharing because that's what God has asked you to do. Now, let me just quickly give you a just a simple way to do this so that you can say, well, you can't say, you know, I don't know how to do this. Well, let me just give you something. If you'll take your Bible and turn to the very back cover, should be a page right there that you can write on. I want you to write these verses. Romans 3.23, which says, for the wages of sin, uh, I mean, all is sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And then write down Romans 6.23. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And then write down Romans 5 8. But God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So Romans 5 8. Under that, write Romans 10 9. 10 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So write down Romans 10 9. Then write down under that Romans 10 13. Romans 10, 13 teaches us that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's, there's no requirement there. And then Romans 8, 1, right? Romans 8, 1 under that. And that is uh, for those who have accepted Christ, there's now therefore no condemnation, okay? No condemnation on their lives. So those six verses, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 5, 8, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13, and Romans 8, 1, with very, very minimal commentary, will give someone the full picture of the gospel. This is called the Roman road. Sharing those six verses will let someone hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you have them. And you have them written inside your Bible. So you can show someone very quickly. Now in one of my Bibles, I put the location of each verse on on the uh, page where the previous verse was. So on Romans 6, I mean 3.23, near the bottom of the page, I wrote Romans 6.23 so I knew where to go next and I wouldn't have to keep going back to that last page. And then at Romans 6.23, on the bottom of the page, I wrote Romans 5.8 and, and so on. So that's how I 
introduced people to the gospel. And it wasn't off my head, wasn't straight out of my brain. It was the word of God. And there is there's no better way to share the gospel with someone, this is a no-brainer, than, than through the, the actual words of Christ. Jesus, Now, Jesus expects you to be a gospel that makes disciples. The Great Commission was not written just for the, the first 12 or, or the, the group of 500 that heard it. The Great Commission is for all of us. Matthew 28, 19, 20 says, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So that phrase, to the end of the age, makes it applicable to us because those first 500 that heard it, they're dead. So this still applies to us. So I want to help you. I want to help you to learn this way. The first three Wednesday nights in May, uh, I want to train anyone who's interested in becoming a Great Commission Christian how to do that. The first week, you're going to learn this method of sharing your faith. The second week, you're going to learn the commandments of Jesus and be able to talk with them, um, uh, talk about them with a new Christian. And in the third week, you're all going to learn how to how to baptize. You're going to learn what that is, what that means, how to do it, and you're going to practice by baptizing me. I'm inviting you to go through this class with me. And you you have some time to think about it, but if you're in in our church, if you're in this area, you can go to fbcclover.life and you can sign up for that class. It's free. We're going to meet the first three Wednesday nights in May. This is important. Jesus wants us to become uh, mature believers, to become disciples who walk with him through life, to carry on his mission, the Great Commission, and he, he wants us to multiply believers. Well, I hope that's an encouragement to you, but I hope that's a challenge to you, and I hope you take advantage of those teaching opportunities. I'll be back next week with a, another teaching from God's Word. We'll be still be in Matthew chapter four, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna carry on there. But I hope you have a great week. Let me pray for you before I, before I let you go, Father. Everyone that's listening to this podcast today, I hope that you would fill them with peace, with assurance that you would let them see their purpose very clearly today and take advantage of some of these teaching things to apply to their lives. Father, I ask that you would bless them today in Christ's name, amen. Well, have a great week. If you want to start an online conversation with me, as always, just email me at mike at fbcclover.com. Be glad to start that discussion with you. But until next week, I hope you have a great week and remember that God is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.